welcome back to the podcast. I'm Kevin, and this is Heartbreak and Hot Pot, How I Lost 45 Pounds in Six Months. This is episode three, and it's a, it's a pretty difficult episode. It's, 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 the, it's the most difficult, but we're going we're gonna to just dive right in here. So in my life, I helped raise two sons, Dan and Elliot. Uh, they're just 14 months apart, the Irish twins, as they say. Dan was the oldest, born on March 5th, 1993. As, well, as I talk now, he would have been 30 years old, uh, would have been. Dan and his brother Elliot, very different people. I mean, uh, you know, the nature-nurture discussion still amazes me. That, I mean, they, they were raised in the same environment, but they were very different. Um, Elliot's an academic. He's really always been fascinated with, you know, the natural world. He, he grew up with dinosaurs, frogs, lizards, birds. You know, he, he can identify a bird from, from a great distance, tell you everything about it. It's, it's always been amazing. Uh, he blew through high school with great grades. Then he went to UC Berkeley for his undergrad. Then he jumped past a master's degree right into a PhD program at, at Dartmouth, you know, in the natural sciences. Um, you know, as I, again, as I talk now, he has his PhD, he's off and running, he's living in Oakland, California, kind of near Berkeley. Um, he's there with his girlfriend and they're very happy. So it's great. I mean, that's just, it's wonderful. Dan was very different, uh, from the beginning. He, he could quote sports stats before the internet showed up. I, I have no idea where he was getting this information. I mean, he, he, he would quote, you know, baseball, ERA numbers, football stats. I, I just, the information just seemed to come to him from somewhere. He didn't have as much interest in school. Uh, he was more interested in sports and, and hanging out with friends. He wanted to be a baseball star at the, you know, when he was young. But then as he grew up, he really fell in love with football and he played it all the way through his time in college. He, he wasn't necessarily a natural athlete, but he, he worked his butt off. You know, some, some people just, it just came to them and other people really needed to put effort in. And, and that was Dan. He, he really worked hard. Um, he was a great team player. Uh, he was really respected by, by all his friends. Um, you know, I mean, they all liked him. And when it kind when it came time for Dan to move on from high school, he really didn't know exactly what he wanted to do. You know, he and one of his friends thought they might join the Marines. And we went to a, you know, have a meeting there at the recruiting office. And uh, neither of them wanted to pursue that after the meeting. So uh, Dan did visit a, a local university called Chapman, uh, pretty close by, like 15 minutes from where we lived. We had a close family friend who'd attended and, and she loved it there. And so uh, she took him over and took him around and he fell in love with it. They had a football team. Then they had a broadcast journalism school that was really highly ranked in, in, in the U.S. And he got in. He got into Chapman. It was one of the best things to happen in his life. You know, he, he kind of found his calling there. We went to orientation at the film and broadcast school, and the students who had graduated already explained how they'd started internships with L.A. news stations before they were even juniors you know, and going into their senior year. And then, then they just transitioned into jobs <laughs> after graduation. I mean, I went, hallelujah. I, I never doubted he would find his way. 
you know, everyone loved him, but, you know, he was very caring and funny, but you always worry about your kids, you know, with, with what's going to happen with them. At, at Chapman, he joined the football team and, uh, some of the guys on the football team became his closest friends. They, they lived together and, uh, you know, he was pretty independent, um, except when he needed some cash for mom. <laughs> but he really took off in the film and broadcast journalism school. It was exactly what he needed. So he did local reporting. He took over the sports desk. He he, he brought humor to everything he did. You know, it's just so many people just, you know, enjoyed him. He partied a lot, you know. I mean, who didn't in college? I, I mean, I guess some people didn't, but, you know. <laughs> It is part of the experience. Uh, one day I started getting letters at the house asking if we needed a marijuana lawyer. I mean, it's a ton of letters. And so I went on the internet, did a search on Dan Steele and marijuana. I found a local Orange, California arrest record. He was caught smoking a joint on the front yard of his house. It was a tiny fine. It was, you know, even the cop even said, don't worry about it, it's like a hundred bucks. Um, you know, but mom would have been unhappy. So, um, he was staying at home that weekend. He was sleeping pretty late. I knocked on his door and he grumpily said, what? And I, I told him and he said, please don't tell mom. You know, so <laughs> he had my old Toyota Prius, you know, to drive around and he, he and his buddies, you know, the footballers, they trashed that vehicle, you know, I guess cause it was a wimpy hybrid, but it was a good car. I'd get in it when he came home and pull out, I just pull out bags of weed. He claimed they were his roommates, that he was holding it so his roommate wouldn't get in trouble, you know, having it in the dorm room. Uh, you know, he'd been cautioned once, so Dan had the car. It was before legalization, and the stink was incredible when you'd get in. <laughs> you know, I don't have a problem with weed, uh, but you got to be smart about it. So I asked him what would happen if he was pulled over and the whole car smelled like the skunk. But he used to do anything for his friends. But in his junior year, Dan started an internship with the NFL Network. It's just about 30 minutes north in Culver City. What a, what a dream job for him. I mean, can you imagine? One day he called me and he said, I'm standing right next to LaDainian Tomlinson. You know, the, the famous and amazing San Diego's Charger, Chargers running back. He was now, you know, an on-air personality at, at the... NFL Network. I, I asked him to tell Ladanian to lose the earrings. I said they look stupid. He told me I can't do that. <laughs> well, whatever. I, I respect Ladanian. That's just a joke. I, I just don't get the look. The, the earrings never seem to fit on him. You know, but anyway, that's just my opinion. <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't care about my opinion. Uh, I loved listening to. There was an NFL network personality, a comedian named Dave Damashek. I, I still do hear him occasionally. Um, he's famous for, he, I got to know him on the Adam Carolla show, you know, all the way back in the nineties on, he, he was a co-host with Carolla on the radio program. And then it's, you know, Carolla, Carolla has that huge podcast. And so Dave shows up a lot on that. He's famous for rating things like, you know, best fruits and best soups, <laughs> Uh, you know, he'll say things like, the peach is leading this year with its succulent juices, but the pear is close behind. A few years ago, he was at the Super Bowl pregame interview. You know, there was an interview with coaches, and his question was, is this a must-win game, coach? <laughs> the Super Bowl. It's one of the greatest pregame questions ever. 
So Dan called me and he said he was watching Damashek in the food line in the cafeteria. I told him to go over and say, hey, Dave, what's the best soup? And he said, I can't do that. <laughs> he, he was a bit shy. You know, I mean, shy, but people loved him, including his boss, uh, Chris Rose. And, you know, Chris is the lead on-air personality for the show Dan worked on NFL Game Day. You know, Dan Dan worked his butt off to, to get Chris all the info he needed, you know, when the show was on the air. You know, everyone was sprinting around, but the show was so real-time. Uh, he was also working on becoming a production assistant. So he graduated from Chapman in May of 2015, and then he was employed full-time at the NFL Network. I mean, can you imagine? He he, uh, he he had been educated on some of the latest video software, you know, really advanced stuff. So he had a jump up on on folks who had been educated before. You know, this was all new technology. And so if, you know, if the, he could find obscure clips from the past and it would fit into, you know, what was happening on the show. Like there's a, there's a crazy interception on the one-yard line. You know, within minutes he could find past examples and feed them to the production team, uh, you know, and he was doing a great job. He had moved into an apartment on the Sunset Strip with a football friend from Chapman. He was in L.A. to become a model, and uh, he made it. Yeah, he's, he's still a successful model. You know, it does happen. <laughs> so Dan took a second job, you know, make ends meet as an usher and a ticket taker at Mann's the famous man's Chinese theater. It was just a short walk from his apartment. Um, both of them lived on the fourth floor of this apartment. It was a really nice place. It had an open atrium in the middle where you step out onto a small porch, look up and see the sky. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that porch. So Dan worked both dro- uh, jobs. You know, Every now and then I'd go up and go to breakfast with him. You know, He was really having a, a good life. So this is kind of a funny story. Somewhere around this this time, uh, my my ex wife Trish and I took Dan, a girlfriend of his, and then Elliot and one of his uh, guy friends out for a night in in L A. We were gonna get some uh, dinner and and then go to comedy. Dan's girlfriend was a young lady who'd come to L A. to be a star, you know, as many many people do. She was a hairstylist. She was always pretty tight on cash, according to Dan. So he was her chauffeur. You know, she had a friend coming in to LAX, you know, the airport. He'd run to pick them up. He'd shuttle her around town when he wasn't working. He was he was very giving. And, you know, he's probably had fallen for her, I'd guess. You know, as much as he might have wanted, there was no relationship. She was probably saving herself for Brad Pitt. How do I know there was no relationship? She told the world that night. <laughs> so first we went to a really nice restaurant. We had a great time. Really good food. Then we uh, drove across town to the world-famous comedy store on the Sunset Strip. Yeah, it's one started by Polly Shore's mom, if, if you know who he is. Uh, we walked in to get our seats, and the four of them beelined it up to the front row. You know, the, the, the stage was barely raised. They were right there next to it. I walked up to them and said, what are you doing? <laughs> do you want to do this? And they said, yeah, of course we do. So Trish and I took a seat in the far back. Uh, I, I don't like being a target. <laughs> so, And then the comedy started, but instead of the scheduled first act, the MC announced they had a special guest who wanted to work out some jokes. Then he introduced Bob Saget, you know, America's dad. 
But if you've ever watched the uh, documentary The Aristocrats, which you should, <laughs> um, you know that he's also one of the bluest comedians working, well, at least before he passed, uh, R.I.P. Bob. So he came out and started with a few jokes, but he, he, he started looking at the, at the kids, and he, uh, he, fo- he focused first on, on Dan's girlfriend. He asked how long they'd been dating. She said quite loudly that they were not dating, you know, in case Brad Pitt was there in the audience. <laughs> and Bob took this and ran with it. It was hilarious. I mean, I, I have a leaky memory. When, when I'm laughing so hard, it's it's really hard for me to remember the jokes. But I remember the general, you know, direction the whole thing went. Um, you know, so he said something to the effect of, so you brought this young lady out for the night, but she's not your girlfriend? Are you even going to get a hand job at the end of all this? <laughs> Everyone laughed their butts off, including Dan. Uh, but, but Bob kept going. He kept digging into why they were together. And, uh, you know, anyway, it was hilarious. Then he turned his attention to Elliot. Elliot has and had a lot of hair. And he would often back then put it in a man bun. So Bob said, uh, so, man bun, what's your story? <laughs> and Ellie, Elliot answered he was Dan's brother. So Bob took that, you know, for a run. Man bun and the chast monk. <laughs> Sounds like a great sitcom. And then he looked at Elliot's friend. Uh, Elliot's friend was wearing a Hawaiian shirt covered in sailboats. And he said, so you like boats? Are you two dating? No. So no one here is getting any, I take it. What else have you done tonight? Then Dan, you know, told him that, you know, mom and dad had taken them out to dinner. He goes, where's mom and dad? And he pointed right back there. And then he, you know, ran at us for a while. <laughs> it's just, like I said, I can't recall much of what was said. You know, when it's a good laugh, I can't remember most of the jokes. But then, you know, Bob got done. And then other comics took the stage. I think there were seven or eight more that night. I mean, it, it just kept going. Each one would come out and start their set. And then they'd just turn in on Dan and, and his celibate life. It was like they were in the in the green room having a competition to see who could, you know, get the mine the most comedy gold from this, this situation. What was she thinking through all this? My star is rising, I imagine. My my face hurt from laughing, but Dan took it all in stride. I just don't think I'd be able to handle it, but it was a lot. <laughs> so now we move on from that fun story. And we move into reality. Um, so in, in November, Dan was promoted in both jobs. This is November of 2015. He, he, was, he was moving up a level in the production team at the NFL Network. And then around the same time, he received a jump in responsibility at Man's Chinese Theater. You know, it was a, it's a small jump, but it was a jump. You know, so he, he was pretty proud of both things on the night of the promotions or at, you know soon after they happened he went out with a, a friend and they made the rounds of the bars on the sunset strip you know there's a lot of fun things a lot of good music at some point they became separated and dan went back to you know the the apartment alone kind of early in the morning by nick's general account you know maybe one or two a.m on Friday the 13th of 2015, in the early morning, Dan fell from the fourth story of his apartment just off the sunset, the sunset strip in Los Angeles, you know, in Hollywood, from that little damn porch that hung out over the atrium, and he, he passed away from the fall. They found his watch 
um, on that tiny porch, the strap was broken. He, he might have gone out there for a toke or something and, I don't know, somehow snagged his watch on the decorative railing. You know, probably had, had too much to drink or something, and and I, who knows. Maybe he was trying to free his watch, and when it broke, he went over the side of the railing. That's 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 the main theory. I feel so disoriented every time I try to imagine it all. I mean, it's 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 terrifying how easy it is to be gone and and he's gone <laughs> one of the worst things that ever happened to me was uh, the call I, it it's still it's so hard for me to to revisit but i i was working that next morning at my job in vista california it's down in san diego county I was on the shop floor, you know, where we did all our production work and maintenance work and R&D work. And I was talking to my friend Raymond about a project we had. And my my very close friend Abby came out and she told me that there was a phone call that I had to take. And I jokingly told her that there's nothing more important than talking to Raymond, that it would have to wait. And she told me it was very important and I needed to get in there right away. So I walked to her office, shut the door, got on the phone and that's when my world just collapsed um the police the police officer on the other end of the phone told me that my son dan had been found dead in the atrium of his apartment building he was deceased he was dead dead i I walked up to my office to get my things and to drive home i was just numb I didn't I had no idea what to do. It's hard to remember everything after that. I I know that our head of sales, Dave, he ran into my office and he just grabbed me and held me tight and he wouldn't let me go for a long time until I slowed down on my sobbing. It was like when when I was around other people and you know the emotion it 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 just compounded everything so much. So, um we walked through the office. I had my things. Everyone was looking with fear at me, just realizing how fragile life is, I imagine. And he drove me in, in his car, you know, the hour home, to confront reality. Um, he forced me in his car, even though I said I could handle it myself, that I could compartmentalize. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, and I, I doubt I could have. It was best that Dave drove. I cried so hard on that drive that my eyes hurt. I never imagined a pain that intense or overwhelming. And Dave had a young daughter, so he had a bunch of stuff in the car for, you know, take care of her. Enough Kleenex. I mean, I cleaned him out of Kleenex. My son was gone. My son was dead. What a horrible word. I got home to my wife wailing in the kitchen. Her friends, Kim and Connie, were there trying to comfort her. Connie had given my wife Valium. I believe it was just all so surreal. We finally got on the phone with Elliot. Um, he was he was attending a marine biology um, session at an outpost near Tahiti for Berkeley. Can you imagine getting that call? He he got on a flight home right away. I called my dad. He was standing on a boat dock near near his home on uh, Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. I didn't know I I didn't 
I didn't soften the blow. I had no idea how. I, I just said, Dan died this morning. My dad said he almost fell into the water. He just collapsed. I mean, there's no proper way to react to the death of a loved one. The next morning, I walked out into the cul-de-sac. Our friend Kim was going to drive me to the funeral home. They, they transferred Dan's body to Newport Beach, California. It was just a short ride. We walked out into the cul-de-sac, and my neighbor, Brian, across the street, was kicking the soccer ball with his very young son. He looked at me, and he walked over, and he said, Is it true? And I just started crying, and he grabbed me and helped me. <laughs> and, I just, and his young son stood there looking up with a smile at me, just all innocent. And I, I just broke down. I mean, when I'm around people, the caring just shreds me. Just Anyway, we went up to the funeral home, and Dan, Dan was laying there. And I kissed his cold forehead. We, we tried to get into a normal life. You know, my, my parents flew out. We had the funeral. The funeral was just packed. I mean, there were so many people. The entire Chapman football team showed up. Virtually everyone Dan worked with at the NFL Network came came down for the funeral. There were tons of people from Chapman. I mean, it, just so many people who wanted to give their respects and love to Dan, you know, I mean, it was, it was touching. After, after all that, everything's a bit of a blur. I, I really was messed up. You know, my doctor had prescribed Valium for me. I was mixing it with wine, which you're not supposed to do. I remember going to the movies with Elliot. We loved going to the movies and, and we got in an argument about something stupid you know, he doesn't remember what it is. We 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 just were arguing. I was out of my mind. I threw my car keys at him, and I started running home. And then my friend Sharon somehow ran me down in her car. I don't I have no idea how she knew that I needed to be found. You know, I mean, I would have made it home, but she, you know, I was in trouble mentally. Then my very close friend Sam, who's a doctor. You know, my friends called him and said, what What should we do? And he said to check me into rehab at Hogue Hospital, local hospital. He, he was, at the time, he was in Delaware visiting his mom, so it was a long-distance advice. So two of my friends drove me over. Jim and Brian drove me to Hogue. I put $5,000 on a credit card to be put in a room with no reading material and no entertainment. It was just my thoughts. We had group counseling sessions every day, several. I, I, I didn't hear anything. You know, a lot of the people I was in counseling with were kids trying to kick heroin. You know, they were in real dire straits. I was trying to cope with the death of my son. Very, very different. In one session, the counselor focused on me. She told me my blood alcohol level when I was checked in. Then she told me they found marijuana in my blood work. She accused me of being, you know, way into addiction. 
one of the heroin kids yelled at her, he just lost his son, ease up. And so she did. On Thanksgiving Day, they gave us turkey. My friend Brian came and we, we had Thanksgiving together. It was just surreal. You know, I was miserable. It was a horrible week of thinking about Dan. And then that was it. After a week, I was able to convince the doctor that I was stable and they let me go. And I went back to work. I think it was about three weeks after Dan had passed away. And so I'd be meeting with my boss, our CEO, Brian. In the middle of talking, I'd just start sobbing. I'd just break down. And he, he would patiently wait until I was done. Then we'd get back to the conversation. You know, it, that's a real story. I would just start sobbing all the time. He'd wait till I was done. Then we'd get back to it. He was so kind, understanding. My world had been upended. I wasn't stable anymore. I wasn't the great employee I'd always tried to be. After a few weeks of this, Brian had our head of HR lose meet with me. They, they'd bought me sessions with a local therapist. I went to the sessions, but we never really connected. You know, I tried. I was horrible at my job now. I used to put everything I had into every single day, but now it was just, I was an empty shell. <laughs> but the rest of the company propped me up, you know, Brian and everybody. They, they they really gave me hope. Kept me going day to day somehow. So I'm going to wrap up this episode here. Um, next episode, we're going to talk about some tributes to Dan and what happened with my family. If you have any questions for me, feel free to reach out. I'm at Kevin at hotpotforlife.com. K-E-V-I-N at hotpotforlife.com. H-O-T-P-O-T-F-O-R-L-I-F-E.com. So if you want to write to me, I'll respond or if, you know, with any questions or if you want to share your story, something I could share here, I'd love to do that. So thank you for listening. Share with a friend. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. Heart. Break. Heartbreak. Heart. Heart. Break. Heart. Break.